You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, wherever you are in the world. Thanks for listening once again. It's Thursday, November the 1st, and I'm coming to you once again from California, from Santa Anita Park, which is blessed with the most glorious conditions ahead of the 40th Breeders' Cup World Championships at the weekend on Friday and Saturday, the draw for which took place last night. Most European runners in the Breeders' Cup this year will have been pretty happy with where they were drawn, with the exception, perhaps, of Charlie Appleby's mile fancy master of the seas, who drew the widest gate of all, which is very tricky, around the two-turn mile at Santa Anita. You'll be hearing of hopes and dreams and some genuine passion and enthusiasm for this sport through the next half an hour. But you'll also be hearing of heartache and despair. Uh, Archangelo, the Breeders' Cup Classic winner, was scratched yesterday morning. And we lost a horse yesterday. Practical move. Collapsed with a fatal injury on the main track at around about 6.45, just as sun was coming up. And your thoughts are with his connections, trainer Tim Yakteen and all those uh, involved with the horse. To Archangelo, though, first, the horse who was scratched from the Classic. We spoke to his trainer, Jenna Antonucci, last week. This was a horse that so many people were rooting for, so many people had pinned their hopes on for the biggest race of all. And really, they couldn't get to the bottom of what had been ailing him, and he'd missed a couple of days' training. He was officially scratched, as I said, on Wednesday morning, and I spoke to his trainer shortly afterwards, and this is what she had to say. You know, we just are run out of time, and, you know, with all of the proper and we have so much reform that is was so needed in our industry and in our sport and with that reform comes limitations and how we can you know assess situations and you know if you want to be able to really deep dive and figure out you know we've pulled that hind shoe that we've talked about everything is going the right direction but we need to do further diagnostics and to do further diagnostics you need to be able to sedate properly or you know do scans and do that next level to get the answers and so we've run out of time and we're not going to guess and think he's okay and rub some dirt on it. We're going to make sure that we're fine and make decisions then afterwards. It must be massively frustrating because your horse person's instinct mm-hmm. and your, all your yeah. experience basically tells you, I'm pretty sure that this is, yeah. fo- this is in the foot yeah. and there's, there's some kind of pulse there that it'll come out during the week and then he'll be sound as a pound right Right. and that's where you know you can't continue to deep dive things you know with a twitch on on a nose and Mm. and a wing and a prayer so um we're we're comfortable super comfortable with where we are with all of this and it's it's the right decision and um everything will be good because i know we i've been in in situations like this in breeders cup weeks before in kentucky derby weeks where well we saw it this year didn't we in the derby where you know connections are a a bit pissed off because they think well I'm, I, I would run and, and the infrastructure's made me scratch. I'm not getting that feeling from you. No, um, because if we're not 100% in our gut with where we are, then it's just a no. And it's, you know, there's other horse races and I'm, I'm not minimizing how amazing this experience is. And I'm sure later on I'll, I'll reflect and feel a little bit differently. But right now, just knowing what we are 100% doing, what is in the best interest of this horse, it makes it all that much um, more easy. Obviously, we know there's a, there's a stud deal with this horse and we're aware of it is it contingent on him finishing now or can we go on in 2024 conceivably john john owns his horse it is his horse and so it's his decision and as these things are all so fluid you know 
the directions that he's leaning is probably retirement, but the, we will assess what we have and make sure and check all of these boxes before that decision is, is final. I know there's chatter about that it's 100%, and well, I'm sure we'll have that answer within a couple of days of exactly where John's going with this. Well, should we let John have, a, have, his, have his own say? You're, you're smiling, John, which is a good sign. Yeah, I'm, I'm smiling, and you know everything's great. We've just been blessed this whole, we've been blessed this whole ride, this whole trip. It's been amazing. You know we're happy, and I'm, you know, I'm pretty positive. You know about we're just I'm gonna go to Lane's End. You know, um, 2024. So um, that's where I'm leaning. I do have the option to race him, but I I'm leaning towards, you know, Lane's End 2024. I'm not. Listen, I'm I'm certainly not trying to. Uh, encourage you to do something you didn't want to do. But if, if he was okay, I mean, if he genuinely was okay in the next couple of weeks and he was training nicely, would you be tempted to have your cake and eat it and say, run him in a couple of those early spring races and then, and then stand him at stuff? I think I'm going to Lane's End 2024. <laughs> yeah. So look for Archangel Lane's End 2024. All right, okay. John, All thanks right. so much. Thank and Thank thanks, thanks for talking to us. Jenna? Thank you for talking to me. Absolutely. Um, not the way you really wanted the week to pan out, but you're going to stay. We're good. We're going to stay. Let's you're going to stay this. and watch the race. Absolutely. Good on you. Good on you. All right. Well, that was Jenna Antonucci and the team responsible for Arcangelo taking it on the chin. It sounds as though he's run his last race. Uh, I was temp- trying to tempt the owner there with a couple of those big prizes in the spring, but they've got a big stallion deal at Lane's End. And 2024 looks as though that's where his destination is going to be. It's such a shame. Jack Keane from The Sun is out here at Santa Anita with me. But in the lead up to big races, Jack, these things can and do happen. And Jenna, very articulate there about the responsibility now of those who own and train these thoroughbreds to make sure that they're not taking on any unnecessary risks. Yeah, you're right, Nick. I mean, we know the scrutiny that this meeting can be under. Um, we have seen some high profile injuries and incidents in in u.s racing this year especially so it's um you know horse welfare is always paramount but especially on this international stage we have to be very careful um it's it's a massive shame that he's obviously out and he's, he's going to be retired now because i think we're all looking forward to seeing him it was going to be one of the stories of the week everyone was uh, if you didn't have a betting interest you know you're going to be rooting for this horse absolutely so um, a massive shame but yep they've they've done the right thing by the horse and let's hope he has a very successful career at stud it's been a tough morning here at Santa Anita. Practical move, um, who was a, a, a big star in the Tim Yachtin barn, uh, suffered a fatal collapse on the track uh, around about 6.45 this morning. And I think everyone here really feels for, for the connections in that stable because this is not the first time this has happened to them with a fancied horse in the lead-up to a Breeders' Cup race. Yeah, you're right. It's, um, it's happened to Tim in the past. And it's, it's very sad. It looked like practical move had a chance going to the... Uh, the dirt mile, he'd obviously racked up a quite a sequence of wins. Um, I, I, I don't know about you, Nick, but obviously since Go Rocket Ride suffered his injury the other day, there seems to have been a slight atmosphere around Santa Anita in the mornings. People just a little bit, you know, on anxious. edge. Anxious and on edge about the prospect of, of horses being injured in the lead-up. And it's fair to say when, when the horse sadly went down here, you could have heard a pin drop and it was um, pretty, pretty chilling stuff. So we've just got to hope between now and, and Friday we don't get any more instance like that because it was um it was pretty grim to be honest with you and um yeah we don't we don't need any more of this it's uh, we just don't need it and the juxtaposition of of that um bad news and sad news against this extraordinary and, uh, and spectacular sporting venue that is 
is dressed up to the to the nines ahead of its big days this weekend. There's a, a massive European contingent again. You've been out and about this morning. You've been much busier than I have. You've been beavering away, talking to, to everybody uh, who's come over from the UK. What have you learned today that perhaps we didn't know on, on Saturday, for example? Uh, you're right, Nick. I've, I've well and truly racked up my 10,000 steps already this morning. It's only 8 a.m. Um, Have you actually done 10,000 steps already? I'm on about 11,500 That's already. ridiculous. That's yeah, very, very good. I'm very proud of myself. Um, but, you know, Gozzi, we spoke to John Gosden earlier down at the um, International Quarantine Barn. He was in good form. Uh, he, uh, he obviously in spiral and Mostadaf had a little spin on the turf earlier. Frankie Dettori was in, in spiral. Um, Gosden was in his usual great form. Um, and so was in spiral by the looks of things. He's, he seems very keen on her for the Philly and Mare turf. He's got no concerns about her going up to 10 furlongs around this around this track. Did you feel that she was the one he would rather talk about than Mossadab? Did you feel he was leaning more towards giving her, her the play? Yeah, I think so. I, I think if, if you were to you know, put him on the spot and say, which is, which is your, your main hope? I think... He would probably lean her. I mean, she's probably got the best form in the race, and if she's anywhere near her best, she'll be very hard to beat. Mostadaf's obviously got a, a tough task in that red-hot turf, one of the best turfs we've seen in quite a few years. Obviously, we've seen some good renewals over the years, but we've got the Derby winner, we've got King of Steel in there. Mostadaf's obviously taken his form to a new level this year, but it's going to be a very interesting race, that. I thought both these runners were an interesting test of John Gosden's normally very sound judgment on these things, and I was teasing him a little bit when he was on the show a couple of weeks ago about when he ran Oasis Dream in the, in the mile here uh, Inspiral's never won at 10 furlongs and Mossadaf's never won at 12 furlongs but he's pretty clear that he's got them in the, in the right slots so it will be an interesting test I think of his judgment in that respect yeah Gosden's got the big dice out hasn't he we haven't seen the big dice for a little while so um, obviously he could have he could have um, run maybe Mossadaf in the classic if he was feeling adventurous as well but I think this this does look the right spot you you wouldn't necessarily want to run him in the mile um, if you have a bad draw there and miss the break you'd be stuffed so I think 10 furlong uh, 12 furlongs round here would be perfect for him um, and there'll be plenty of trainers in the classic now with no go rocket ride no Archangelo and no mage who will be thinking to themselves I'm glad I did take the chance yeah absolutely the race is a very wide open look to it isn't it we don't seem to have a you know there's no justify there's no American Pharaoh this year there's no standout horse who's long odds on um, that's going to be a fascinating race it's, it's a shame without Archangelo no Archangelo in there but it's still going to be a fantastic race okay tell me how did you find Frankie Dettori today I, I sort of sensed that, uh, at Ascot and beyond Ascot that he was he was pretty exhausted has he has he, has he found a new a new lease of life I think he's enjoying the sun being on his back Nick um, as far as I'm aware he was down at Santa Monica Beach yesterday with his cousins having a whale of a time that's not a bad lifestyle out here is it um him and Catherine have been house hunting as well ahead of their, their move out here next month. And he was very relaxed. He said he'd been out for dinner recently and he was standing at the bar looking around, seeing if anyone's going to mob him for a selfie. But nobody has a clue who he is. And I think he's actually quite enjoying that. Um, he obviously likes being the centre of attention at home, but I think he's ready for a bit of a change of pace. And he's been riding work for... He'll hate many... it if no one recognises him in a couple of weeks. Yeah, weeks. I think it'll probably wear off. He'll be kind of jumping up and down saying, someone come and speak to me. Um, but he's been riding for as many American trainers as he possibly can, trying to make all new connections and, and stuff like that. But he was in great form this morning, as you'd expect. Um, I, I know you've been speaking to Jim Crowley, who's just arrived. First ride in a Breeders' Cup since 2009 when he rode Lord Shanakil. We spoke to him on the podcast last week. Um, what's his assessment of the race? Mostadaf drew stall nine. Yeah, I, I think he's, he's, he's confident. He, he said he's going to sit on the horse tomorrow for a little spin just to, just to get a feel of him. Um, he knows it's going to be hot competition. I think the horse he, he probably fears most is, is August Rodin. 
um, the Derby winner, who obviously was fantastic in the Irish champion last time. Look, I think I think Jim's very confident. It's, he hasn't ridden out in the uh, Breeders' Cup for a long time. Is it Lord Shanakill, I think? Lord Shanakill, it was, yeah. Yeah, so he, he's not been out here for a long time. He's taking it all in. He's you, here you know what Lord Shanakill's pedigree claim to fame is this season? Oh, go on. He is a half-brother to the dam of City of Troy. Okay, that's not too bad. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. A little bit, a little bit of uh, pedigree arcana for you. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you for that. Um, but yeah, he's, he's looking forward to the race, uh, as you'd expect. It's going to be... I expect they're going to drop Mostadaf in and just ride in for a bit of luck and use his turn of foot in the straight here. It's obviously not as tight as some other American tracks. You can actually get a good run at them into the straight. So I think we'll expect to see him coming fast and late. And I was joking to Jim about, obviously... Shabwell's record here and we all know Dejour and, and the infamous jumping of the post so he says we need to maybe put some ghosts to rest and win a, a big pot big pot over here so uh, now Jim's in good form and he's obviously looking forward to the weekend you said you wanted to have a drink this morning yeah <laughs> well this is this is one of the nicer stories amongst the European contingent we all know about the the big battalions and out there this morning with however many dozen Aidan O'Brien horses nose to tail looking like a massively powerful force but there's a great story behind Give Me The Beat Boys who comes from Jessica Harrington Stable. Jessica's been a fa- fabulous supporter of the Breeders' Cup for the last three or four years. Her daughter Kate's here uh, looking after the horse. And uh, alongside her, um, Olivia Marnan, who I think was the first person ever to sit on Give Me the Beat Boys and has been part of the story ever since. That right? That's pretty much right, isn't it, Liv? Yeah, that's pretty much the story. Anyway, he is, um, he's been a bit of a revelation. Anyway, my sister bought him um, at the Goffs Open Sale, which is actually on this week last year. And he's just been amazing ever since. Um, he couldn't get into a breeze up sale, so we put him in training with the Harringtons. And so you bought him to breeze. That was the idea, because obviously yeah, everyone knows the families are huge, and that that's, 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 that's your business. business. Yeah, that's that's Dad's business and Dad and Amy's business. So, um, but no, he couldn't get in. They wouldn't take Bungle in the jungles, so we had no other option to put him into training. And I'm very thankful we did. Anyway, it was great. So, yeah. When you started riding him, what did you think? Did you think, well, this is this is this is a, a serious animal well he was always i loved him because he was so quiet really i'm not gonna lie um yeah no he was always great like he just did everything so easy and he was never a problem he was never a bother he just took everything in his stride and he's been a dude since day one so yeah he's great and now you're here in in santa anita how how are you feeling and, and how's the experience been for you so far well it's been great i think it was very nerve-wracking the draw yesterday it was like get, get my leave insert results it was nerve nervous but um no it's been brilliant it's an amazing experience and it's an amazing horse to bring us all out here so it's been a bit, bit of an amazing time and i suppose that relaxed nature is actually what's what's helped him get through the season mm-hmm take all these big races in his stride and land up here still looking great yeah we, we, we said it a couple of weeks ago we don't even think he knows he's a racehorse yet i think the penny's only dropping now he's um getting to realize what he's what he's for so yeah no he's brilliant and for you and, and your family and the harringtons he's just been a, a great source of strength as well hasn't it yeah for sure yeah no it's been a difficult year but um no he's he's been amazing he's brought us all a bit of a bit of crack anyway so yeah, I know, he's class. Horses can do amazing things for you, Kate, can't they? Yeah, they certainly can, Nick. And, um, you know, it's been a great journey with Give Me The Beat Boys this year. And, uh, you know, um, my mum's been battling cancer, so is um, Olivia's. And um, this horse has kind of brought everyone together and been a, a good um, kind of moral support because he always runs, goes and runs his races. And it would be just the icing on the cake if he could go do the business on Friday. 
And I said just at the beginning there that, that you and your mum have, have really supported this event the last few years. Is it, is it something you, you've been planning a long way out every time? Yeah, like it was always, probably we really came here. We had a lot of plans with giving the beat boys during the summer, but the, through, through the back end of the season, the ground really curtailed them. And uh, he ran a cracking race in the middle park um, on the good ground. And we maybe just didn't quite see it up the hill that day. And since then, when Shane Kick got off him that day, he said he showed speed today that I've never experienced on him. And um, then we kind of thought it was a bit of a no-brainer. We went home and we all had a big conversation about it that, you know, it would be the right thing to come here because he'll get his fast ground. And uh, he's a very well-balanced horse and I can't see him having any difficulty going quick around the bend either. And I, I just want to um, end with you, Liv, if I can. When your family have had horses that you can't sell or haven't made it through the ring or people haven't taken, the strike rate of them turning into champions is extraordinary. I remember, who was the horse who won the, the Racing Post trophy? Palace? Palace episode. He was one of yours, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he was. And nobody wanted him? Yeah, nobody wanted him. Dad, dad had him. You can speak to Dad's over here on Wednesday. He'll have a lot more to say about this, but yeah, no, I, our Listen, horses... this podcast isn't long enough for a, for, <laughs> for a, for a, for a whole con. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, we'd be here all night. Um, you know, our horses aren't pushed to take times or do times or anything like that. They're just relaxed. They're easy. Like, they go up to Harrington's and anyone can sit on them like they're they're great because I can't I wouldn't ride them if they weren't but um you, you're being very modest I mean you, you've got this horse ready for Shane who's here now <laughs> what sort of job did she do Shane I uh, yeah very good in fairness um I just get taxed to riding him once every two weeks and that when he's doing a breeze but like I said um I know that they have they've done a fantastic job with Con and all of them and Amy and big team effort so hopefully you can repay them Friday night what, what we haven't worked out is actually whether he can win this race I mean you've looked at the field you know quite a few of the key dangers what do you think I think he can. I do, I do think he. I think he's a very good horse. Um, I think he will get six furlongs well in time. But he, like I said, the last day he showed me pace that he hadn't really shown before. Because when he gets in behind, he can race a bit lazily, and he, he was good out of gates the last day. So obviously, it'll be it'll be fast and frantic here. So if he can if he can tag along with him early, I think he'll be there to finish. You're clearly on good form. Chunky breakfast burrito there. Yeah, an omelette, an omelette. Uh, <laughs> eight ten on Friday. It's only Tuesday, so <laughs> we'll start worrying about that on, on Wednesday or Thursday. Well, listen, there's someone who's stepping to the plate for you if you get a bit fat. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, good luck to you all. Kate, Liv, Shane, thanks so much for talking to me. Uh, give me the beat, boys. Big challenger uh, for Ireland in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint. Liv Marnan, Shane Foley and Kate Harrington. And there will be celebrations galore if give me the beat boys were to win the opening breeders cup race of 14 the breeders cup juvenile turf sprint on friday and draws five and live saying very pleased with that the draw was kind to most of the europeans particularly our thoughts of most of the aiden o'brien runners uh, and that'll set up nicely for him in the turf wasn't so kind to master of the seas jack Keane in 14 of 14 it's going to take a lot of winning from there isn't it um, a lot of his rivals are have, have drawn well um, Morge has a good draw she's, she's pretty close to the rail but Master of the Seas uh, from 14 he's going to have to be ridden for a lot of luck to win from there so uh, Charlie Appleby we know he's got a fantastic record at this meeting but um, I think he's going to need a, a lot of luck to win from, from that gate Alright well on to our third instalment now looking at how we feed our thoroughbreds and how we can do that most effectively. And of course, this is the season where I'm herring around the world faster than I can really manage. 
and have just made the five and a half thousand mile journey from London to Los Angeles. But so have an awful lot of horses, 50 odd horses from Europe. And of course, they, unlike me, are finely tuned athletes and it matters what they eat and it matters that their diet is consistent across the continent. So once again, we welcome into the show the founder of Kentucky Equine Research, Joe Pagan, and the director of Thoroughbred Nutrition from Saracen Horse Feeds, Polly Bonner. Welcome to you both. Joe, first of all, what are the key principles of feeding a thoroughbred effectively from continent to continent when they've got a big race just a few days away? Nick, the most important thing is consistency, trying to make it so that the horse doesn't feel like he has left home. There's enough stresses of travel already but trying to make it where you don't upset its uh, gastrointestinal tract, keep its appetite up, that's really important because sometimes the stress of travel, if horses go off their feed, it can be disastrous for them in a big race after being shipped. So, so what do you do? How do you compensate for all those things that might happen in transit? I mean, I know how, how badly I react sometimes to, to, to flying and the altitude. In a best case scenario, you would bring everything with them so that they would have the same sort of hay feed, water and whatnot, but that's not always uh, possible. So what you try to do is plan ahead so that you make as few changes as possible. And we actually have a lot of experience doing this with the Olympic Games where we've had to deal with 250 horses that get displaced to a strange land usually onto different types of hays. And, and in many instances, they bring their own feed. So finding a hay that is very similar. So when the horse gets there, they don't feel that it's changed is pretty important. For thoroughbred racehorses, fortunately, there's sort of a common hay that's used in a lot of racing jurisdictions. Whether the horse is at Miho or Shaten or Maidan or Santa Anita, the hay they're eating probably came from the same valley in Washington state. There's a, a hay company called Anderson Hay there that supplies all of those. So those horses are in luck if they have uh, literally they're eating the same hay as before. If you can get that right, then you're you're well on your way. Because I'm going to come to Polly very shortly, but I, I want to know from you, Joe, what effect can it have on an animal and on a highly tuned athlete if things go slightly awry if they're not getting the same balance of nutrients, even by a few degrees that they're, that they're used to. Well, I mean, you're feeding the horse, but you're also feeding the microflora in the GI tract. And uh, unlike us, where we can switch from Indian one night to Chinese the next night, the horse's GI tract and that microbiome is a lot more finicky. And so changes to that can have a knock-on effect to the horse's appetite but also its performance uh, polly you're seeing this at the at the sharp end if you like you are trying to formulate plans for people traveling horses from newmarket and elsewhere around the uk to melbourne next week to kentucky this week to the middle east in two weeks time um just talk me through your day-to-day -day experience of this okay well joe's quite right ultimately we're looking for that kind of controlled continuity to maintain their feeding programs and make as few changes as possible and i think you know anybody who's been around horses and particularly racehorses they need routine they thrive on it so we're just aiming for when they're traveling and, and when they're training to keep everything super consistent so that's going to be as joe said the same nutrients but also 
they're going to be reacting to how feed smells, how it feels in their mouth and the texture. Um, we want to make sure that all of those things, despite the fact that there can be cultural differences country to country, don't have to affect them. Now, fortunately, because of the working relationship we have with another feed company in America, we can make sure for any horses that we're involved with that the same feed will meet them as they arrive at the track. Um, it gets slightly more complicated for Australia. And Joe, I'm sure you can go into more detail about this. Um, but they have an irradiation process there, which is effectively sterilizing the feed for it to be able to come into the country. And that makes it incredibly unpalatable. And then you get a situation where the horses really won't eat. So that's pretty disastrous. And however much you might try and tempt their appetite, that's very difficult. So from that perspective, we're very lucky that Joe's team in Australia are able to make small batches of feed that match exactly so that they don't have to have that irradiation process and fresh feeds waiting for them when they arrive. We had an interesting scenario just in the last few weeks with Jimi Hendrix, who I'm sure we can all remember that fabulous race, the Royal Hunt Cup at Ascot, where, well, the same syndicate managed to one two in that. So that was pretty extraordinary. But he's now in Australia and we wanted to make sure that when he arrived, he was going to have the minimal amount of disruption to his feeding program. So Peter Huntington made sure that feed was ready and waiting for him as he arrived in Sydney for his quarantine there. Um, so that that was as close a match as we could have it for what he'd been eating at Side Hill here in Newmarket for his quarantine before he left. Um, Joe, does a, ch a change of climate, a marked change of climate, make any difference to, to how you should feed the horse or, or not? Or do you ignore them going from 50 degrees to 85 degrees? Well, I mean, client, certain, climate is certainly going to play a large effect. So you're going to... Uh, and mainly the thing you're most worried about is hydration. So making sure that the horses remain hydrated, possibly by upping their electrolyte intake a bit so that you uh, encourage them to drink. Surprisingly, if you ship horses around the world, sometimes what you don't think about is the drinking water. And we've run into that in a number of Olympic games where the, you, they get to the venue and the horses just won't drink it. So we go scurrying around trying to find the best bottled water that we could find that the horses would actually want to drink. So it's uh, the, the advanced teams that normally do that try to take all of those factors into account, but sometimes they get it wrong. Even in Tokyo at the last Olympics, uh, one of our guys was out to the 7-Elevens buying lots and lots of uh of spring water because there were horses that wouldn't drink the water at the venue. That's, that's incredible. I mean, if ever we needed evidence that these horses really do get the, the very best of everything. Um, Polly, when you, when you supervise a, a feeding regime for, for horses that are traveling, how much personal satisfaction do you get? And does the whole team take when, when you see them performing at a, at a really high level overseas? Oh, it's massive. And fortunately I've had some good, whatsapp message feedback from the horses that we're involved with that they're all they traveled well eating and drinking on the flight was good and on arrival and they're taking the feed really nicely and, and are settled and, and training well so that on its own bodes well for what 
is going to happen this weekend and then we're hopeful that the draw, which obviously you're involved with, and the ground and everything else and the riding tactics can suit because it's it's a big deal. I don't think a lot of people would perhaps realise the lengths that everyone goes to to get these horses out there for these big races. It's, it's very precise. Um, as Joe said, you need to be adaptable sometimes. If the horses don't want to drink that water, you've got to find other ways. So we've even started making some more modern mashes that aren't your typical old fashioned brand mash but there's there are other ways of getting them hydrated and keeping them drinking and kind of kidding them into that with having different flavors to them that they like so that can be a useful feeding strategy as well i think the other thing that can't be um, forgotten about or understated is just how important it is the staff who travel with the horses who know them so well that they will detect slight differences in mannerisms behavior um, and they'll spot things quickly so that they can make things more comfortable for them. Um, obviously, gastric comfort is massively important, but it's amazing what a difference that can make with how much focus they have and, and how they're tolerating changing environments. So the staff themselves are massively crucial to this. And I, I would add to that, Nick, besides this, the horse's staff, the shipper's staff, yeah. and as you well know, your brother... James being one of those shippers, they're really exactly. important that they understand what's going to be at the other end so that they can do the logistics. So the trainer doesn't want that to be an issue at all. The last thing on earth they want is for uh, feed to, to come into play. So there's a lot of the behind the scenes, including the shippers, the staff that make it so that's not a problem they have to deal with. Yeah, exactly. Polly Bonner. Uh, Director of Thoroughbred Nutrition at Saracen, Joe Pagan, founder of Kentucky Equine Research. Thank you both so much. Thank you. All right, back here at Clocker's Corner. Jack Keane is with me from The Sun. And Jack, uh, we ought to just cast our mind over, over, the, over the pond and talk a little bit about the jumping. We spoke a bit about the Charlie Hall yesterday. Paul Nichols still not made a decision as to whether Brave Man's Game will pick Dory for the Charlie Hall. If it's not Brave Man's Game, he could wait for the Betfair Chase. And if he does wait for the Betfair Chase, amongst his rivals, it was uh, announced to the Racing Post today, could be Shishkin, who could be formidable if he if he excels over, over staying distances this season. Do you think he's got another season at the top in him? I think so, Nick, yeah. I think um, we saw last year that the, the fire is still burning bright in Shishkin obviously the, the season before didn't end in too well but he, I, I think last year he definitely looked as though a, he could get a trip he needed every bit of that entry three miles yeah he? he really did he saw that out very very strongly um, it's going to be fascinating to see him at, at Haydock if he goes there you know that that race can often be run on on tough deep ground so let's hope that we have a bit of a dry spell between now and then because I think he'd probably prefer a slightly better surface but it's, um, it's going to be fascinating. If he can prove that he is up to the task at the top over three miles, he's going to be a fascinating addition to the Gold Cup division, isn't he? It's going to be uh, very interesting to see how that plays out this year. For sure. Um, just turning our attentions back to the flat, uh, Safi Osborne's had an excellent season. She really has. I know she was trying to close in on a 100 winners for the calendar year. She's had to draw stumps, Jack. Why? Yeah, unfortunately, um, Safi had a, a nasty fall earlier this month and she, it turns out she's torn some ligaments in her knee. So that's her done for the year. Obviously, she's had a fantastic year. She's had a bucket load of winners, random harvest. Obviously, go with that. Well, I think that was her first group winner. She had 
success at the uh, Shergar Cup and the Racing League. Obviously, she's been dominant in the Racing League for a couple of years. So it's a real pity for her year to end on this note, but what a year it's been for her and onwards and upwards, I think, for the future. Yeah, and at least she's got this far and can now use the time and use the time wisely to, to get back. Standing at the coffee station, the breakfast marquee, Breeders' Cup 40, Little Red Feather Racing. Billy Koch with me now. Billy, we normally bump into each other around about this time on usually, Breeders' usually Cup week. Night, usually at night over a couple cocktails. That's usually our MO. Why is that? Uh, well, normally, normally at that point, you are buoyed with confidence. <laughs> and tell me, tell me how, many, how many of these races you're going to win. Let's remind yeah. people who were maybe not listeners to this podcast last year um, and haven't heard us chatting before a little bit about your, your Breeders' Cup history and some of the highs and lows. Well, I was at, personally, I was at the first Breeders' Cup at Hollywood Park. Were you? Yeah, no, it was awesome. In 84? Yeah, 84. I remember the first race, Chief's Crown. Uh, my friend Andrew Rosen's family was Chief's Crown. He beat Spendabuck, actually. He came back and won the Derby. Mm. Um, it was an awesome day. A, a really Hollywood dramatic Park. classic. Wild Again was Wild the winner. Wild Again! And yeah. a massive inquiry that lasted yes, for crazy. how long? Oh, God. It seemed like an eternity, mm-hmm. I think. But... Uh, Wild again, yeah, Pat Day. Uh, was, was just an, you know, there was nothing like it before in horse, horse racing. There wasn't that championship day. All we really had was the Triple Crown and, and some, you know, big races throughout the year. We didn't really have this vision. And uh, it's turned into a, an unbelievable event. I don't think I've missed many, to be honest with you. And it's kind of framed the year, really, hasn't it? It, it provides that drive for for. for horses in various divisions to the to the end of the campaign well that's what's nice and as a as a not only an owner and but as a fan of the sport you get a chance to see everybody on the main stage at the same time and it's you're you're right i mean there there's a plan it is the championship and uh, i'm really looking forward to it we listen for us for little red feather we're obviously a uh, partnership group a syndicate however you want to say it on this podcast and so, so uh, now i mean you've been around yeah, a long time yeah. so but now you're used to smallish partnerships or massive microshare syndicates where do you where do you sit numerically we are uh we are fractional shares we are not a uh uh micro shares mm. so um we're more along the lines of eclipse west point us um and, there, and there's so many more that are out there that do such a great job. And, and my whole goal when I first started was to, I wanted to get people into the game. I wanted, you know, sport of kings, right? We always said you don't need to be a king to be in this, this game now. Um, and it is interesting. When we first started, and there was only a few of us. I mean, we, my first partnership was 91. And Cock Campbell was the man. He was the king. Uh, and, and it, but now you look the landscape has completely changed because now you have the Avengers who are just buying every, you know, million dollar Colt and you have the, the Cox group who are also buying Colts and you have, so, and all these are partnerships. I mean, people laughed at us when we first started. They, we, there were no respects for the partnership. And now they're basically doing what you were doing, but on a much grander scale, exactly. or with a lot, more, or with a lot more cash behind them. Hundred percent. It's so it's so ironic. So, have you been blown out of the water in that respect, or can you still compete? No, we can still compete. I mean, we are. We're here. Mm-hmm. We're at the Breeders' Cup. You know, I mean, we've been at the Breeders' Cup every year for the last. I don't know. I can't even tell you four or five, six years. I mean, um, but really, what put us on the map just to. Divert yeah. was Singletary back yeah. in 2004. He was the second horse we ever bought as Little Red Feather. 
made it to the Breeders' Cup mile, 16 to 1, Lone Star Park, one of the greatest days of my life. And uh, we had, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. He was awesome. Uh, he really did. If it wasn't for Singletary, there would be no Little Red Feather. Didn't he beat Antonius Pius? He did. Veered in, <laughs> and when he did, he lost the chance to beat Singletary. Uh, you you had you had you had the, the best you had the best adversary possible. If it's you and Antonius Pius, there was only there was ever no going to be one winner. Well, he was he, a professional loser. But the incredible thing was that so many people that day it was so funny, Nick, because they they were like, "I'm just going to wheel him," and you know what happens when that happens. You get like Singletary wins at sixteen to one. You get uh, whoever was the favorite. Uh, who won it next year? It was the the horse that won it the next year was the favorite? I can't remember his name right now. But that's what usually happens. The exact to pay is eighteen dollars and. That's it. So Antonius Pius ran second at 35 to 1. Yeah. Singletary was 16 to 1. I think the exacta paid like some ridiculous amount. And I had all this cash on me because I had people who just gave me money to bet. I, 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 my pockets, I'm making a, were like this big walking out of it. Was amazing. It was really a fun day. What I like about you is that you're never frightened to have a go. And no. this, this year, there's a whole load of very talented European horses coming in here for the mile and a half turf race. We've been talking about it all week as one of the best or deepest runnings of this race there's been in a, a long time. I mean, do you agree from, a, from an American standpoint? 1,000%. I think my personal opinion, and look, we have Gold Phoenix in there. Gold Phoenix is a really nice horse. He's won a grade one this year. He won back-to-back grade twos at Del Mar. Forget about that last race. Toss it. If he, if he runs his race, he's competitive with any American in that field. However, there's a butt coming. I love Mostadif. I think he is like I've watched his races over the last couple of days. I am absolutely blown away. I am I'm honored just to be in a race with him and Augusta, Augusta Roden, um, uh, the horse that just won, uh, King of Steel. King of Steel. But here's what, here's what you. Here's what you. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> here's what you've got to believe in your position. You've yeah. got to believe right. Will Mostadif get a mile and a half? He I hasn't before. Okay. I, I but, he, but he hasn't before. Yes, I'm just 100%. saying, this is what you have yeah. to believe in. You uh-huh. or you. Uh-huh. August Rodan's thrown two clunkers in this season. He has. You've got to hope he throws another one. Oh, oh yeah. If you're being me and, from and, my And King of Steel ran like yesterday. I think he ran last night. Exactly. I think that was that race. No, you're right. And have All you seen things. how big he is? Is he little? He's humongous. Oh, he's huge. Yeah. Oh, I haven't, I haven't seen him in person. I can't wait to see him. But, um, yeah, you know, these races, anything can happen. The, the turf, I think... Anytime you go into a Breeders' Cup and you go um, from a handicapping standpoint, and you and I have talked about this in the past. I've done this the last couple of years and been very successful. The European runners on the turf are simply better than we are. All, all I'm telling you to do is put Ernesto in your exotic. Ernesto. Ernesto. Okay, fine. I'm, I'm, Everyone's I'm, forgotten about him. He was third in the arc, ran an amazing closing session. I loves fast ground. I love that horse that won the arc, but he just retired. Mm. I mean, he was... Didn't we all? Oh, oh my gosh. Um, yeah. A lot of things have to go right if you're looking to play a horse like Gold Phoenix. But I could see him sneaking into the try at 35 to 1 if everything goes right. But uh, it's going to be an – I think it's the race of the day. Personally, I think it's the race of the day. If everybody had your enthusiasm, which I wish to bottle, then this sport would, <laughs> would have no problems at all. <laughs> we, have, we like to have fun. You know, Nick, I mean, I come and see you. It's exciting when I get to talk to you. We're on the same – I, I have my pod. You have your pod. The, the pods are – All right, you can cross promote the pod oh, yeah. because of course yeah. if, if people don't know if people are listening 
uh, around the world, they probably won't know that you can also access the Nick Luck Daily Podcast on the In The Money uh, franchise, run by Jonathan Kinchin yep. and Peter Fornatal, who produce so much good content in the lead-up to the Breeders' Cup. If you want to really get into the, the geeky weeds of this event, then yes. you, want to, you want to be following. You're also on that platform with... With, with, with your good friend, Michelle. The wonderful Michelle. She you. is the best. Is she the hardest-working person in horse racing? One of them. Like, just all the stuff she does. I just think she's amazing. I think she does she's, a great job. She loves the game, and she works really, really hard. Uh, we do a podcast. She does, because we know yeah. she trains the yeah. horses as well. Absolutely. And we do a podcast called The Owner's Box. It's a lot of fun. I always felt that the owners really didn't have a voice. Like, um, you know, they would say something like uh, Phil D'Amato's Gold Phoenix instead of Little Red Feather's Gold Phoenix. Or it's, uh, you know, whatever. And I wanted the owners to have a voice rather than always talk to the trainers. Always talk to the trainers. And that's what we've done. We have we have hundreds of interviews with owners on there. That's And it's great. You two have always promised me a spot in the box, but I've never quite managed when, when do you want to do? You want to do it right now? We can just we can just start ours. Reverse, roll reverse. <laughs> roll. I don't know what Michelle would have to say about it. No, we'll bring Michelle over. No, we'd love to have you on anytime. We're doing a really fun thing. We did it last year for charity. We're doing um, uh, the second Breeders' Cup draft. We're doing Saturday races only. It's going to be on video. Myself, uh, Jay Pribman. Michelle and Gabby Gaudet. I've worked with all of these all people, of the, and they're all great. And so we did it last year. It was really fun. $2 win place bet, and we do a draft, a snake draft, only Saturday races. And you can take anyone you want in any race. So, like, if I have first and pick, how do you enter? No, you don't enter. We're just going to do it. You're just doing it as it's a... It's us as four a, as, as a, a contest, right. and then we all pick a charity, and we have sponsors, and then the charity makes the money. Beautiful. Whoever wins. Fantastic yeah. idea. Billy, thanks it's so much fun. for talking to me, and best of luck Thank you, with, uh, with Gold Phoenix in the Longines Breeders' Cup turf. And I don't think your other horse is going to get into the turf sprint, is he? That's sad. I wish he would. Beer can man. If he does get in, he's very live. Beer can man. All right, the irrepressible Billy Koch, the principal of Little Red Feather Racing. They've already tasted Breeders' Cup success. Could they spring a surprise one more time? And, of course, it'll be Melbourne for me and for us on this podcast next week. Uh, Jim McGrath is down there, and he's been talking to a lot of the participants for us. Michelle Payne, you'll have heard yesterday. Uh, Blake Shin earlier in the week as well. I spoke with, with James McDonald after his famous victory in the Cox Plate. That must all be music to the ears of the Victoria Racing Club chair, Neil Wilson, who spoke to Jim at a press event yesterday and was looking forward to the Melbourne Cup Carnival. Well, it's a great event today to kick things off. We're not far out from Penfold's Victoria Derby Day. I think the, uh, the anticipation of this year's carnival is something I haven't seen before. It's, uh, the, the numbers are really strong. People telling us they're coming. Tickets are good. The racing is starting to shape and like just exactly how we want it on every day. And uh, we've got a lot of new things going on on course. I just think it's going to be one of those ones we'll look back on and say that that was the second year out of COVID and we really got going. Are we back to pre-COVID days now? Yes, absolutely. In fact, I think what we're seeing is some of the things we did during COVID with our, our digital platforms and reaching people that couldn't come to the track. We've continued on those as well. So we've got this fantastic on-course experience with, with obviously people here seeing the racing and enjoying all of the things we do on course. We've got 250 performances from entertainers during the week. You know, things like this are, are just you know at all-time levels, but we've got this massive audience globally that is tuning in, not only to the Cup, but to Cup Week now. We've got a reach of over 700 million people across 220 countries this year all interested in what's going on, particularly on Cup Day and the Lexus Melbourne Cup, but increasingly we're seeing them tune into the Champions Day on the last day, and Derby Day, of course, all group racing. It's just, 
It's just really at a level, I think, uh, Jim, that we're going to see some, some, some interesting statistics at the end of next week, and I think people will be well and truly um, back, back in uh, tune with uh, the, the, the Cup week that we know and love. Now, you were at Royal Ascot this year. I saw you there. Um, what reaction were you getting from people about Melbourne? I think what we saw is that uh, people have uh, had a little break away because they weren't able to travel. This year we're seeing a lot more interest about coming across and we've seen the international horses start to come back again. This was always going to be the case once we had a few years of people getting used to the restrictions that were put in place for the right reasons. Uh, we're starting to see a few trainers that were never coming back, coming back. Uh, and uh, this year we'll have five runners uh, at this stage and we think that that'll hold. And uh, yeah, next year we'll probably have a few more and I think what we heard is that I've got to get back down to that carnival. It's on my bucket list, it had a pause for a while, but I need to get back there. We'll have about 30% of our people that attend next week uh, coming from out of state and internationally. We've got, a, we've got cruise ships coming in on Cup Day, 8,000 people will come to Cup. It's like, it, it, it's back in town and, and I think anyone that talks of uh, you know the, the diminishing interest in the Melbourne Cup is uh, reading the wrong stats. And have you got a tip for the Cup? Still working through it. I think I'd love to see Gold Trip go back to back. I just think that's the story that uh, that crew uh, will we, we'll deserve in a way, but it's, we haven't had a back to back for a while, and I think that would just add another dimension and a great group of owners, and I'd love to see that happen. All right. Thanks to all my guests today, and really lovely to be coming to you once again from sunny Santa Anita Park in Southern California. Jack Keane from The Sun has been my guest today, and Jack, you've, uh, you've got some Breeders' Cup advice for us. I have. Um, have the mortgage on living the dream in the turf. The sprint. mortgage? Yeah. Well, okay. But maybe a bit over. I, I actually do think. I, I don't see. I don't want to get them too revved up because Steve and Jolene are so revved up already. Or well, Steve is. I don't want to. I don't want to keep pouring fuel on the fire. But he has got a great chance. Well, that prep run at Keeneland was exactly what Adam West wanted to see. You wanted to see him ping the lids, travel well, and still hold the lead about a hundred yards from the line, which is what happened. Um, I think they're expecting him to take a big step forward. He's been working nicely here this week. So um, I think they're very excited and, and rightly so. I, I think he's going to take a hell of a lot of beating in the in the turf sprint on Saturday. All right, Jack, thanks so much thanks for all my guests today. Thank you very much for listening. That was Wednesday, November the 1st. I'll be back to do it all over again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily. Brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.